Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a reasonably misandrist Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, The Impossible Box. So I don't want to scare anyone, but I think this was a good episode. <laughs> like, I spent so much time last week coming to terms with the fact that this is not a good show, and then it just ruins everything by being good. I said last week that one good episode does not a good series make. Yes, you did. But that's okay. I think it's what happened this week was the plot moved forward. Yes. And that's, that's all we want. That's all we needed was instead of talking about the plot, the plot actually happened. You know, we're so easy to please. All we want is for stuff to happen. So, I have... Yes? Well, no, just that reasonably misandrist. I had a comment (laughs) that I was, that I was going to, to, I I like held on to it. I was like, this is a reasonably misandrist comment and I (laughs) do not remember what it is. So I hope it comes to me. I also have a reasonably misandrist comment and uh, it's it's this, you know, Agnes kills her lover and I'm like, well, I'm sure that was a bad thing to do, but maybe she had reasons, you know, she's probably not a cackling villain. I really want to give her another chance. And then Elnor attempts to kill Soji and I'm like, nah, he's dead to me. I'm sorry. Goodbye. In the bin with uh, Elnor. You mean Narek. Oh, my poor baby, I can't believe I've slandered him like this. Narek tries to kill Soji, and he is dead to me. But does he really? Well... Are you sure? You know, I'm he... not sure, to be honest. <laughs> it is both very Romulan and very passive-aggressive to set up a trap so elaborate that Soji can just, you know, escape instead of shooting her and having done with it. So, and then he calls for backup and we don't see him again, including yeah. in the preview for next episode. Yeah, yeah. Ha- but, you know, misandry. I... <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. You be on team misandry and I'll be on team Kylo Ren. <laughs> and well, I was thinking look. it's quite ironic that we've given him this nickname because my attitude to, to Narek now is like a lot of people's attitude to Kylo, which is he's a bad person and he does bad things and the only acceptable way for him to redeem himself is in the process of saving Soji. I'm sure that you have a more nuanced and reasonable take, but that's where I am right now. Well, I've seen that. I've seen a lot of that, and but it goes one step further and in saying that that won't be enough and that that's poor storytelling and that that's just a retread of the rise of Skywalker and I just I am I'm I'm seeing it from friends and and strangers and I am it took a lot it took all of my restraint not to (laughs) subtweet the entire internet today I, I, I wanted to, I was like, I should get it out there now that I'm on team, 
he I that is not the only way to redeem him first of all and second of all it wouldn't redeem him and that's my point my point is it we, we could have a a good version of the story where he changes and things happen and and we see him atoning for it as opposed to the big sacrifice play change redemption quote unquote version you're right and i hate that you're right and i'm just going to sit here and be mad at him for another week and then i'm sure i will come around yeah i i mean everyone is completely it's it's you everybody should be mad at him like he's doing wrong even if his heart isn't fully in it and even if he gave her an escape Mm. vent we we should still be angry with him for not being able to stand up right then you know or something or but i'm just saying yes that there there you're right there are nuances i am i am team nuance and i'm already in a in a whole little pretzel twist about this entire storyline that hasn't even happened yet <laughs> Well, that's kind of fitting because this episode is called The Impossible Box and uh, it turns out that Romulan Rubik's Cubes are just really, really full on. That was a holocron. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when when he did it the first time and there was like a, a little lady inside. Like a little Romulan deity or something with its face that covered. Was a holo- I really that was a holocron. I want a close up of that prop. Yes. And so, I mean, I can't, uh, this, it's all I can think about is how Kylo Romulan he is. Like, I can't even mm. with how Kylo Romulan he is in every way. But, and, and I am, I, I love how we're talking about the end here. <laughs> we like jumped straight to the end. But the, the in, like I was say, said, the in the preview for next week, we get like, four shots of Nerissa being mean mm. and Merrick isn't there at all and so I mean I am I'm sorry that suggests to me that something is going to happen with him that either he already followed them to Nepenthe or he's going to do something extreme on the Borg cube if and I'm concerned for Nerissa I am concerned for Nerissa as well but if this somehow ends up with Narek and Elnor escaping to La Serena and have just having a, like a really awkward road trip to Nepenthe, and then you know they land and he's like, "Soji, hi, Narek here," and it's just terribly awkward, I would be okay with that. I know I'm I mad just... at him, but comedy <laughs> awkwardness and the uncomfortable nature of trying to make amends would uh, make up for a lot. Yes, exactly. It'd be great. So let's step back slightly. (laughs) I want to talk about the title. Yes. Because obviously the holocron, I don't even even know what it's actually called, (laughs) is, is the impossible box. Yes. But at... Many times I, you know, when I, when I watch it a second time, I'm capturing my, my screen caps for my mm. caps. And so I 
I watch it in a different way and I see scenes differently than when I'm just watching it. And so I was able to pick up on the transitions from the box itself to characters and circumstances. And I had already come up with this idea that the, the impossible box was more than just the box itself. That but it's people. It, it's people. Mm. And it's definitely Soji. I mean, I feel like that's obvious yeah, yeah. that it's Soji. But I'm pretty sure it's also Agnes. Yeah. I remember after after the first episode someone tweeted that this is basically girl as mystery box uh storytelling which, you know, is fair, but here they've so almost they've made it if not textual then visibly subtextual. And I think that's an interesting choice. It's an interesting take. Yeah. Yeah. And, and aren't all people mysteries to others? Yes. Isn't that the nature of humanity? And it's it's funny because the impossible box makes me think of the impossible girl. Yes. In Doctor Who. And that was yes. something that people threw at really all of the new Who companions, but certainly Clara, that she was a mystery box as characterization. <laughs> that tweet I mentioned literally says, girl as mystery box, just like Stephen Moffat. And I know a lot of people have issues with Moffat's storytelling, but for me, I actually really like his work and his id is very similar to my id. And I think that is a very unfair take on his story because for example, the twist with Clara and the impossible girl is that there is no mystery. She's just an ordinary girl making choices. Hmm. I mean, look, I love Amy Pond, Rurasan and Clara Oswald. Like I love them. So <laughs> you're not gonna, I am, I am not anti-Moffat just yeah. because I love this character so much. Like, yeah. And yeah. like, uh, even Sally Sparrow in Blink, it's like, come on. Yeah, That's he a does character right there. He does really interesting characters who are sort of simultaneously down to earth and a bit left of center. And to me that's very realistic. That's my entire group of friends, but apparently some people have less cool friends. Uh, <laughs> this is not a Stephen Moffat podcast, but I know. Uh, <laughs> We're like zooming out, but I just it was funny because I was thinking of Soji as the impossible box and Agnes as the impossible box before mm. I figured out that there is literally an impossible box in this episode. Like I had, I was so convinced <laughs> that was a holocron that it didn't occur to me that it was a puzzle box. Like that, that was the point. That like, is absolutely delightful. It's very me. <laughs> it is. Don't worry, I'm the person who only recently figured out that To the Moon and Back by Savage Garden is not literally about space travel. I think it might be about sex. <laughs> Aren't all songs about sex? Basically, yes. I assumed going in that the mystery, the, the impossible box would be the Borg cube. And it sort of is in a way, because like the, the toy, the Romulan toy, you have pieces sliding and moving oh, yes. to drive people it's, and manipulate people. It's definitely moving around in the same way. And it has secret rooms. The queen cell. The queen cell. Interesting that it's a cell. I was thinking, like, in a beehive, the queen bee has a cell. 
So I don't think oh, it's that's, like... that's definitely what it is, but... There's also the, the prison connotations. Yes. And the idea that maybe a Borg queen is assimilated just like everyone else. And that... Ooh, I like that. But also that the queen cell is the one place where there's an escape. Yeah. Magic. A magic escape route. It's not magic. It was established in Voyager. And I am not sorry those guys were assimilated. They were jerks. <laughs> to be fair, it was kind of established to be magic in Voyager. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was a technology that was greater than we it was sufficiently in Starfleet advanced. could understand. Yes. So, and that's what magic is. Yes. Anyway, Seska was right. Seska's always right. <laughs> really? <laughs> it wasn't even the only Voyager reference in this episode. No, uh, Michael Chabon, Chabon, I must learn to pronounce his name. Michael Chabon said on uh, Instagram, where he answers questions after every episode, that uh, they would like to get more DS9 references in, but they're so relatively obscure and unconnected to the rest of the the universe that it would confuse new viewers and mm. yeah sorry <laughs> ds9 but it's true ds9's self-sufficiency makes it a really good starting point for viewers new fans who don't want to watch the other 50 odd years of star trek but it's also hard to follow true that which is not to say it's not good we've established that i have great respect for deep space nine so which impossible box do you want to start with, Soji or Agnes? I'm going to start with Soji. I am just so glad that she has finally activated and we can stop hanging in this holding pattern. You know, she took proactive steps to figure out her past. She uh, has finally met Picard. She's left the Borg cube. Things are happening. Finally. Maybe an episode too late. The teaser scene between Soji and Narek. Mm. I was watching it and we said that they didn't show up in last in last yeah. episode and and that was okay, but we noticed them missing. And I feel like that teaser scene could have gone at the end of last week's episode. Yeah. If they really wanted to. Like it's not it's fine the way it is, but I was just watching it and I was like, this this would have worked as the the bridge scene that would be like that could be in last and, and have us be thinking about what's going to happen now because it's that scene and then we get back to La Serenia and it's right after yeah Alex has died yeah so there's sort of a it's a weird it's a weird time shift in some ways I have some theories about how I personally would fix the pacing on this show, but one of them is fewer episodes but make them all 10 minutes longer. And yeah, I would have maybe slipped, if not that teaser, then a fresh scene at the end of last week's. But I like that Soji is still sleeping with Narek, but also still has no illusions about whether she can trust him. I just think he has to be like Sarek levels of good in bed. Because she's certainly not with him for his personality. I kind of feel like she... He's, he's, a, he's a 
mystery to her too and so like she has the same sort of like I guess he suggested that that mm. she's as interested in his riddle as he's interested in hers and or she could just be trying to get his like realizes that he is after her for some reason and so she wants like not after her like a a villain but after her like trying to figure her out and mm. that if she's if she wants to figure her out then maybe using him to get there is not a bad idea all of these things can be true but i'm just so glad that this is not actually being played as a, a serious romance Oh, it's definitely not. It's it's funny. I mean, not on Soji's end. Narek, I think, has a lot of feelings and that's going to bite him. Yes. Because he's not, you know, he's the one who's not supposed to have any feelings. Mm. And it's all supposed to be a facade. And I feel like it's actually switched. Yes. I liked the teaser. I thought the little girl playing young Soji was great. On the second viewing, I found the dreams a bit repetitive. Oh, orchids again. But I don't think you're meant to watch this twice in one day. Yes, and also which is why it, we could have had the first one in the last episode and yeah. it wouldn't have been as... It, it was similar to the, you know, how the people who got to, who went to the premiere saw the first three episodes in a row and a few different people said the, the shots that, that zoom through the Borg cube got repeated, at, repeated yeah. after a while, but when you're just watching them one at a time, they're not. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, like I said, I don't think we're meant to watch this twice in one day. And I, I guess that's fair. Fine. <laughs> Did you like the effects uh, the, both in Soji's dreamland and Picard's post-traumatic stress? They would have the blinky, blinky, blink, blink scenes yes. with the past. And I, I liked that effect in that it connected the two of them, even though they were having completely different... It was completely different situations, but it was the same effect. So you, you were sort of linking them in your mind. Yes. Because of that. It's also the same effects that they used in Discovery with Ash Tyler's post-traumatic flashbacks. So the consistency and uh, really works. And if you understand the visual language of the franchise, you know that there is something terrible in Soji's past that she's only dimly aware of. And I guess she must have woken up while she was being assembled or something like that. And... Yeah, I was really, really into the concept and the execution. I thought this was overall a really nicely directed episode. Um, there were a couple of moments where I felt like people's reactions were delayed by just a beat, but that's nitpicking, hmm. really. For this series, it was really good pacing. Yes. Certainly in the first viewing, everything just sort of flowed. And in yeah. the second viewing... I was upset when I had to pause to, to get my screen caps like, <laughs> and, and put them away because I just wanted to keep watching. I didn't want to, to, to stop at the stopping places. Yeah. So. Last week I kind of dreaded re-watching it and particularly watching it with my flatmate who is a normal person with good taste and shouldn't have to be exposed <laughs> to too much nonsense. But uh, <laughs> this week I was like, I feel like I can show you this without shame. And she's like, you didn't make it. You have nothing to do with this show. And I'm watching this as my own free will. Apparently, I'm not the center of the universe. And not responsible for all of Star Trek. Yeah, weird. Definitely an oversight. Uh, I 
feel like the moment when Narek turned for me and became, I don't, I don't want to say irredeemable permanently, but in my heart right now, at this point, irredeemable is when we see that Narissa is watching this sacred private meditation ceremony. Because that seems like such a betrayal, not only of Soji, but of Romulan values, which I guess the Tal Shiar aren't really Romulan value type people, except that, you know, it just, it just says a lot about them. And it was, it wasn't cool, man. I'm starting to think the Tal Shiar aren't nice people. <laughs> hey, I, I, I have to remind you that these are the villains. I know. They're doing stuff that's villainous. What's up with that? It's problematic. That's what it is. I mean, poor Nerissa is completely the villain. She's, mm. I feel like she's already irredeemable for everyone. I feel like everything about her just screams bad guy right down to her manicure. And I know right. Adam and Ben on The Greatest Discovery said something about you have to like get dressed in that outfit and look in the mirror and go, Maybe I am the bad guy. Like, there is nothing <laughs> subtle about Marissa. There's nothing. But I don't, she's, I mean, we've been saying that they're the Lannisters, but she, she's a Cersei Lannister, and Cersei was always very proud of her villainous, her villainy. It's true. It's true. So there are certain people who are perfectly happy being that way. Oh, yeah. I just think... It's more interesting to have someone with nuance and a villain who thinks they're the hero of the story is more interesting. And Nerissa's a bit two-dimensional and she's so pretty, I want her to be more. Well, I think I think she's two-dimensional because she's not in the main credits. Yes. So she's more of a plot point for Narek's story than a character in and of herself. And I'm not saying that's good. Because mm. it's not. <laughs> and obviously, I always want the cackling women who are proud of their villainy to have nuance and their own atonement arc and everything that I want for everyone else. But I think that that's this... Th this series this decided that it's not important for her to be that. <laughs> yeah, and I just think that's a missed opportunity and they could have made a different choice. Just just putting that out there. But the whole, all the Romulan world building we're getting in this series is so great and the three names, the public name, the family name and the private name, I'm so into that. I am really mad that I missed my chance to ask Chabon on Instagram what Laris and Shaban's private names are just to ruin some AO3 tagger's day. And, uh, yeah. I'm like, what are their, what are their public names? Alaris and Jaban, their family names? Because, anyway, maybe, maybe a bit fixated. And, and like, this, this whole meditation room. I, I realise that any good Romulan will take great offence to me saying this, but it's a little bit Vulcan. Oh, it's very Vulcan. It's so great. The, I love... I love how Vulcan the Romulans can be. Yeah. It, that makes me happy. And the three names, so I don't know if it was in the original series. It but, was not. Okay, so that's from 
they're Hansu novels. That's what I thought because I was watching it and I have not read those yet, but we've talked about doing episodes on them one day. I nearly bought them in America, but they were very heavy. Anyway, I was like, I'm pretty sure this concept, at least the idea of a name that you keep secret and only share with someone important is, is from Diane Duane's Riansu yes, series. It absolutely is. <laughs> I am so happy that this is creeping back into canon. And I Me hope too. she is too. Because I love that stuff. I love that whole take on everything. I It's like, we've discussed this, it's one of my childhood touch points. And, yeah. And so I am thrilled. Like, these are the Romulans that I've wanted to be in the series for so long. They're taking little bits and pieces of the, the Romulans that I loved. Mm. And incorporating them. Yeah, so I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. I never read the Riansu books because by the time I got into fandom, they were well and truly not canon and not remotely light canon. And I was really mad because I could see that they had lots of ideas that I would enjoy. And I just didn't want to torture myself with thoughts of what might have been. But now I can read them and they're a little bit canon. And I remain, a little bit canon. <laughs> I remain firmly convinced that Laris is related to the Romulan commander of the Enterprise incident. And yes... I agree anyway. with that. Yeah. I just, I made a joke on Tumblr about her being Spock's daughter. And obviously that's a joke and it's ridiculous, but I kind of want to write that fic purely for the next generation of Sarek family drama. Yes. I made the joke that Narek was Spock's sign and that he was named not Sarek. Yes. I could also go with that, to be honest. Which cause... I just, I still find to be... A very entertaining thought. <laughs> Spock was on Romulus for a really long time. We don't know what he was up to. Plenty of children. Yeah. He could have gotten married and stuff. Yeah, whatever happened to Spock's wife? Anyway. So, Agnes, is it time to talk about Agnes? Yeah. The mystery that is Agnes. <laughs> I've come to accept that Agnes is not quite the person she appeared to be at the beginning and we don't know what her motivations are and we don't even know if she is a hero or a villain and I'm okay with that. Like, it's disappointing because I was very attached to the character I thought she was but I have embraced the ambiguity, shall we say. Mostly because I'm seeing a lot of people going, oh, Agnes is a bad guy, okay, cool. And I'm like, but... But it could be more complicated. I think she thinks she's doing the right thing and she's clearly broken up about it. And that's interesting. So I liked her a lot better this episode than last episode. Last oh, episode, yeah. I was really like ready to be done with Agnes. I, I would, it was like an about, you know, a 180 on her because I just really didn't like any of what happened with her character last episode. Which I think is fair. Last episode, like the whole Maddox thing is just terrible. It's bad. Yeah. We hate it, Precious. This episode was much more interesting. Mmm. I was, I was more... I wanted to know what happened to her instead of just being ready to write her off. And... I don't... I mean, I don't know any... I don't know what... I have no idea what happens to Agnes at this point, but I liked that she was playing it as like 
a severe depression that has turned her into a different person. Yeah, and it's just her whole thing is interesting again. Uh, right, her whole thing is interesting again, and yeah. she her flat affect and. When they first went into space, she went up to Rios and said, you know, I'm bored. Space is boring. I don't like it here. And this was like a progression of that where not only is space boring, but it's trying to it's kill making you. me crazy. <laughs> like it's I, I can't I can't handle it. You begin and to understand why she left Starfleet to become an AI specialist. <laughs> yes. One wonders why she joined in the first place. So it was, I liked how it was playing with this progression and, and especially if you think about, okay, so at, something happened in between when we met her and when she joined mm. the merry band of heroes. Right. And we don't know exactly what that is, but it's it's starting to unravel. You know, at this point, she she had that really weird scene with Rios. Like, she she had a flat affect, awkward scene with Picard and Elnor, and then she had the really weird seduction scene with Rios. And then the rest of the episode, she was just, just sort of in the background staring into space the entire time. Mm. And she's, dis- like, she's she was very eager to get onto that Borg cube, and I think that... Uh, Commodore O has ordered her to kill Soji and yeah I, I can see her being a bit uneager to do that but also feeling that it's necessary for some reason yeah so there was a lot going on and it was really interesting mm. Alison Pill plays her so well because on paper especially at first she was almost a manic pixie science girl and there are so many layers to her and like like you said, the background acting is just tremendous. There's not a moment where she's not working. And I realise that's like the basic expectation of a professional actor, but <laughs> this is the franchise that hired Robert Beltran, so you know. Yeah, she's she's super on and it was it was super interesting. And I didn't dislike the scene with Rios. It was just it was very odd. It was a very odd scene. Once again, I feel like they're very upfront about the fact that this is not a great romance and it's just a woman seeking comfort and pleasure. And I'm like, this is great. Star Trek has finally learned to let its female characters have casual sex. This is wonderful. What about some queer people? Have you considered that? Because it's still, to me, a bit two people of different genders in a room. We must hook them up. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hate it either. I shipped it a lot before it became a thing. And then last episode, like I said, I was just super over Agnes entirely. Mm. And I like moved on. And it was also like last episode was when they were really throwing it in your face. Like, yeah, Agnes and Rios, right? (laughs) And so I was just, I was turned off. Yeah. and, And so now I'm sort of like, okay, this is interesting but yeah it's definitely not like 
I didn't get any feelings involved in this. And and Elnor was completely right. Where he's like, this is now everything is awkward and I don't like it. <laughs> and I was like, I agree, Elnor. You're you're you're, you're speaking for me in this instance. Yeah, I think for all Elnor scenes to not be very bright, I think it's more that he is completely out of his element, that his emotional radar is actually really, really strong. Which is funny because you'd think that with his background, he wouldn't be good at picking up on nuance and subtext at all. He's, But he's very good at it. He's just very prone to making it text. I think it must be that's part of his training too. Yeah. Like that's cuz cuz you know what Connie did it too in her interactions with Picard. She was very like, "Hey, you're you're hiding X about this." Like, yes. And, and poking at him. And now Eleanor is doing that and but Elnor, as you say, he doesn't have a filter. Like he doesn't know when not to do it. He just right. keeps doing it. <laughs> Because I feel like absolute candor is one thing, but surely that there's still room for privacy and discretion to a certain amount, to a certain degree. And it's almost like he knows that, but he doesn't know how not to be that. Yeah. Because he's never been outside of his conclave. That, and he's very young. Like, he's what, 20, 22? he's a baby. He's technically an adult, but young and inexperienced. He's like a homeschool kid going to college for the first time. I liked how excited he was about the Borg and then and then immediately hated them. Well, <laughs> it was, it was so cute. <laughs> he's taking so many cues from Picard and I feel like he's like Picard is trying so hard to be good dad to Jean-Luc. And Elnor's first encounter with the Borg is seven of nine and Right. So and she's awesome. Everybody wants to be friends with Seven. I'm like, maybe he has a crush on her, but maybe it's also that he was raised by incredibly blunt warrior nuns and he's an incredibly blunt warrior Amazon. And <laughs> he's like, oh, a person I understand. This is perfect. I love her. So cute. So cute. You know, speaking of <laughs> two people of the opposite sex to thrown into a room together, mm. they must hook up. At the very end, when Elnor shows up and just mows down a bunch of evil Romulans who were after them and so she sort of gets this expression of like oh yeah <laughs> and yeah. I was just like oh so she's moving on <laughs> she's going after the much better boyfriend material Romulan that is exactly how I interpreted it and I don't know if I want to ship them I suspect like Evan Evagoria really pings my gaydar very very hard but I I like the idea of Soji going, oh god, I've been dating the wrong hot Romulan. <laughs> exactly. That's. I was like, whoops. <laughs> Level up. <laughs> but Narek and Elnor could also. <laughs> that would be okay. Just putting that out there. I. I'm kind of into that. Yeah. I think. I yeah. think it would be okay, guys. Yeah. Anyway, the other the other Elnor moment that I really liked is when he says to Soji that. I'm sorry, when he tells Agnes that Picard can't see how she is struggling. And I think that's a really amazing insight for anyone, let alone an Elnor. But also, it's true. And Picard's applaud, applauding of Rafi is so off-key and patronising and a bit horrible. And I hate him a bit for it, and I'm sure she does too. But he is clearly one degree away from having 
a PTSD breakdown. And yeah, she's she's giving a performance in that scene, but so is he. It's, I mean, everything going on on this ship, none of the, it's so great that we have Elnor because no one, everyone has a facade. Like right. everyone has a, a strong facade that they have been working on for a long time. <laughs> and it's all sort of breaking down for various reasons. And that's so interesting. And it's right. why this is such a great crew of people who are all the same in their differences. Yeah, yeah. When Alison Pill described it as a, a ship full of sad sack weirdos, I didn't realise how correct she would be. Uh, really do think it's a shame that Soji is an anthropologist and not a therapist because if ever a ship needed a counsellor, it's this one. I don't know if she would be good at it, though, in her current state. Well, well, but no. But at least they're going to see Troy now. Yeah, yeah. She could... like, poor Troy is going to be like, I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> Take your ship of... of... <laughs> people who need therapy away but also it's like if this is Picard's mental state 30 years after assimilation is it possible she just didn't do a very good job so Picard didn't go to therapy ever no that's the thing she's dealing with a recalcitrant patient she did her best she would show up and force him to talk every now and again and that was Mm. the most she could do I think yeah, maybe, you know, Whoopi Goldberg has been invited to appear in season two. Maybe this ship needs a bartender. Yes. Though, yeah, a responsible bartender who can cut Rafi off when she has to. Yeah, I liked how Rios absolutely took the bottle with him. He was like, nope, you don't get to have this anymore. <laughs> I just want to draw attention to the weird wooden hand thing on... <laughs> right? Rafi's bedside table and it's an interesting visual echo of the doll Soji on the bench and that's cool and everything but why is that there it's so creepy I'm so opposed it's really really strange and I I spent a little too much time trying to decide (laughs) if those were Rafi's quarters that she always has because they're friends Mm. and so like she gets a room on his ship that's just hers and therefore all of the things in it were her things yeah or if it was like a you know hey everybody's on my ship and everybody gets a room and picard's turned his into his study but these other like is it is it his weird creepy hand or is it her I am picturing Rios buying this ship and then going to Ikea and just filling a bag full of random decorative objects and because his normal life is is probably I mean he's probably usually bringing cargo not people yeah but at the same time he's clearly has a lot of rooms Right, and so and so his normal like passengers would be people who need to get from one place to another who are they're probably like, you know, the kind of people who can hire a whole ship, but not the kind of people who own their own ship. You know, yeah, they're like the middle <laughs> grade the, people, the middle class of the Federation. 
And and that looked, I mean, the way it was decorated, it leaned more towards Airbnb for the middle class than this is Rafi's quarters. That was my thought too, because it didn't really fit the aesthetic of her trailer. Exactly. But either way, that hand, what? Yeah, that, that hand, what? But I do absolutely love their scenes. Yeah, their, their vibe is interesting. Yes. It's interesting in the way that Rios and Agnes isn't. Exactly. I, they, there was so much more to those interactions. I mm. mean, part of it is that it's established so they don't have to have the awkward dance kind of stuff, the rom-com tropes or whatever. Right, like we were saying in the Discord the other day, it's a lot easier to shorthand your way to an established relationship than to build a new one from scratch. And that's why, for example, Laris and Jaban work so well when they're really very thin characters. But a lot of people find that Soji, uh, Soji and Narek don't. Right. And I, once again, I, I'm, I'm never going to get over how quickly this all happened. Hugh two says weeks. it's been two weeks, two weeks that Narek has been on that cube. I enjoyed how Soji is like, are you a spy? I'm really not sure. I'm kind of going back and forth. And he was like, oh, yeah, he's definitely a spy. Yes. I mean, because he is very definitely a spy. OK, so now we're going to go into like tin hat theories and, and nonsense about and predictions for next week that will be immediately uh, disproven mm -hmm. next week. The best but kinds of theories. Do you remember how Narek followed her to work that one day and like hid in her room and watched her creepily while Yeah, yeah. Wait, was he invisible? I thought he was just standing there. Like no one saw him and he def and he wasn't authorized to be there. So I'm pretty sure he had to have been invisible. Like a cloaking device or something. Yes. Ooh. And like the room they were in this time had a cloaking device because uh, Hugh couldn't find Soji until she got out of it. Right. So they had they, these Talshia, Jatvash, Rami Lannisters have cloaking technology of some kind. Mm. And so I can imagine Narek being in that room and going with Soji and Picard to Nepenthe. Oh no, <laughs> that's so great. That means my and, awkward dinner party scenario is back on board. And, and I just like, there's, there's just, it would be so interesting to me for him to be like creepily spying on them all and getting all this information and, and coming in at the most awkward moment. And, and there's that one shot of like a random ranger in the woods who we don't get to see who it is. And it's like, we were probably supposed to think it's like seven cause she's a ranger. But I was like, maybe it's Merrick playing Robin Hood. <laughs> I just have a lot of ridiculous theories about what happens to Narek because he's we don't see him and I'm clearly obsessed like I'm sorry <laughs> that I am please the, please the don't only apologize for obsessing obsessed over a random with Kyla side Romulan. but I am obsessed <laughs> with with Kyla Romulan and his motivations and where he goes and what's going to happen to him 
and again I'm just dreading all of it but at the same time I, I want to put a little Romulan cloaking device around him and, and protect him from the fandom. Oh, that's very sweet. Uh, I am the last person you should apologize to for obs- obsessing over a, a random supporting character. So, you know, no judgment from me. Let's talk about Hugh, speaking of side characters. You know... He was great. I didn't realize how much I needed someone to just greet Picard with pleasure and joy and not be mad at him about anything. And a hug, that hug. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I am delighted, weirdly, that Hugh is a Federation citizen because mostly this raises questions like, how did he get that citizenship? And like, what was the look on the face of the bureaucrat to whom he said, hello, I am a former Borg. I wish to become a Federation citizen. And does he vote? And who does he vote for? And, you know, what does that mean to him as someone who's gone from drone to citizen? And I have similar thoughts about like Romulan refugees living in the Federation. You know who I'm thinking about. I don't need to say it. Anyway. But also Pell, like I was thinking about this again. This is something I've been thinking about way too much because mm. we will probably never see her again. <laughs> but I was worried about Pell and Gabriel and the fact that they were on free cloud to get their mm. their medical help. And it was sort of like, why? Why would you go there? And I was I was concerned that Pell is not allowed to go everywhere. That they mm. that as a Romulan she can only go to certain places and she's stuck in, in there and Free Cloud is one of the places where it's sort of like a it's the new neutral zone. Yeah. And so she's allowed to be there and she's allowed to get she's allowed to go to Planned Parenthood and get her But it's medical. not like yeah. <laughs> free movement for Romulan refugees. Yes. So, so I, I, I've been worried about this. And so I, yeah, I agree that I'm, and the fact that the XBs are all, like, can't leave mm. the artifact. It's like, they're never going to really be able to re, to unassimilate, which is another version of assimilation. Yeah, there is no society that will let them be. Yes. The questions this show raises about citizenship and belonging and being part of a society, I think are really interesting. And you can't really tell these stories in the context of Starfleet because most Starfleet officers are citizens. Like even Worf is raised within the Federation. And so, yeah, these people who are on the border and refugees and um, there is a line in The Last Best Hope where we're told that... uh, Anyone who has been a resident of the Federation for five years or more can, is automatically a citizen. I have problems with that too. Like, I feel like that should be an opt-in, opt-out sort of thing. But then they make a special rule that Romulans who are evacuated from the neutral zone have to apply for citizenship. Ooh. And this is to sort of, this is to placate the, Rom, the Romulan government. And I'm like, I understand in a real politic way how that is necessary. But at the same time, you're making accommodations for a totalitarian state. Yeah, that's actually horrible. Yeah, and that's that's when I started overthinking the question of do Laris and Jaban have citizenship? Do they have freedom of movement within the Federation? Do they leave France? 
Like, I know that to yeah. an extent, as former Tal Shiar agents, that's not safe for them. But do they have the option? Right. How much freedom of movement do these people have? Yeah, yeah. And I don't say this just because I'm fixated on this one particular couple, but it's sort of questions that apply to all of the the Romulan refugees. And, you know, do the people of Vashti, which was a Federation colony, have citizenship? Or has that been cut loose entirely, like the planets that were handed over to Cardassia in the, in the time of the Marquis? There's way more questions than answers. Mm. And it's almost... I don't need the answers. Right. As long as the questions are being asked. Like, as long as they're... Like, I'd rather have a non-answer or an ambiguous answer and the conversation than have a pat answer. Yes, exactly. Uh, Because these are really interesting questions and I guess we're probably not going to get a whole episode that's purely about citizenship and the Federation. Federation Civics 101, the most boring short trek. But it's super interesting, as you say, that they made a point of showing that Hugh is a Federation citizen mm. and that he has the ability to leave the cube at any time. Yes. And the fact that he says that makes me think that it's foreshadowing that for the fact that he will escape from Nerissa and whatever horrors she has planned for my poor perfect angel. I hope so. Because I loved Hugh. I was so... He is exactly the kind of character that I always just... I mean, he is doing such good work. Yeah. He is is a superhero who is... No one sees as a superhero. Right. He is almost like a social worker. Yes, exactly. He's like a... And and doing this really, really hard work and it's got to be so frustrating and so you feel hopeless more more than hopeful all the time. But someone needs to be doing that work. And I love that that character grew into that. Mm. It shows how Beverly's compassion, and I'm totally Mm. putting it on Beverly because it was her. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Um, ha- was able to create a better future for not just this one kid that she saw as a kid and not a Borg. Yes. But for all of the Borg on that cube and in theory all of the Borg everywhere. Right, right. It's absolutely extraordinary. And I really want Hugh and Seven of Nine to meet, not just for fan wank reasons, though obviously there is that, but they've both taken their experience as drones and turned it into making their heart, their piece of the galaxy better, but in such different ways. In such different ways, but they're both being proactive. Right. And I think that's sort of the message of the series. Like when Picard says it's enough that, that it's good. It doesn't have to be perfect. That's the, the lesson that he did not take when he gave up on the Romulans 15 years earlier. Right. It's showing that Picard is is starting to realize yeah what he actually has to do now. Yes. And the thing about the Dunkirk evacuation that I forgot when the first episode aired is that it wasn't a big military organized thing. It was people in fishing boats and and, and you know civilians doing and working with the military to do their best. 
And so I feel like Picard himself sort of missed the point of that analogy. I realise we've maybe gotten a tiny bit off topic from this specific episode, but... But I think it's all sort of related. Yeah, yeah, because this is one story. This episode, like we were saying at the beginning, that the plot is finally moving forward, and what that means is that it's bringing in all of the little pieces of Mm. plot that had been sprinkled throughout the rest of it and it's right. all finally going somewhere <laughs> right and it could be that if we binge watch the series when it's done the pacing will seem a lot more reasonable i'm not oh, entirely yes. sold on that but i think i think on the whole that could be true i do think that this way more than discovery mm. is i can imagine binging this mm. And it's being improved in some ways. Yeah, I got a lot out of binge-watching season one of Discovery. Like, I obviously, I enjoyed watching it week to week, but binging really made it clear how desperate the situation was and how duplicitous Lorca was. And obviously that's also the benefit of watching, knowing the full story. But I feel like this, even more so, would be... So, to use another series, Mm. I would have given up on The Expanse multiple times if I wasn't able to binge it. Like, I am very glad that I waited until it would, like, the first two seasons or something were out before I even started watching it because I would not have gotten through the first season. Actually, I remember when the first season came out and I was like, oh, I read the first book, but I didn't really like it enough to watch it. And then I happened to read the second book because I didn't have anything else to do and then I saw the casting for Bobby and I was like oh no I have to watch this and yes yeah it it, it was much improved in its first season by binging and also by knowing what was to come yeah I can see that so I think that it's interesting to me it's interesting like these are questions that I think about now that we're in this new world Mm. of the streaming series and that there's no real reason that Picard has to be weekly no Uh, and I do understand like the marketing aspects of it and the like getting people to talk about it every week as opposed to people talking about it for one full week you and know? then forgetting about it. And then, yeah. and then not talking about it. Like, I, I get why it is weekly, mm. but I think that this particular series, more so than Discovery or, like, The Good Fight, yeah, this one, I, I get it. And it's, it's interesting, just because I mentioned those two, Discovery was always, it was, it would start at like 9 p.m. or something Mm. it would it would drop it at Sunday night yes and whereas the good fight like Picard would just it's it's the new day and so it would be available and you could watch it whenever you want during that day as opposed to everybody's watching at the same time like Mm. a quote-unquote regular series yeah it's interesting that Picard has moved away from the the discovery model and towards the good fight model but hasn't moved to the expanse model yet so it's like interesting to me that Mm. we have these these little bits and pieces of 
of how you know it's just like sort of like as a as a cultural anthropological standpoint this is interesting no no i agree personally i hope that discovery moves to the drop at 3 a.m u.s time model uh just because for me personally it's really convenient to be able to download it the night before get up early watch it and then watch it legally with my flatmate and i basically don't have to spend a whole day avoiding spoilers because i'm really bad at avoiding spoilers because my daughter was sick i didn't watch this one at 4 a.m and it was it was difficult it was difficult to be online and and not like part of it is that and i will say that spoilers aren't a deal breaker for me Mm. i am not the type of person who freaks out about knowing things yep generally speaking the second time i watch anything is the time i like it better or the time i decide that i don't like it (laughs) like right um the first time is actually sort of difficult for me to really know how to feel about something that's interesting but so it's it's not it was, so it wouldn't have like ruined my day if I had found something out but it was interesting to be in that position where everybody had a, not everybody but where a lot of people had already seen it and were talking about it because normally I am with them and I mm. I don't talk about it like I don't I don't even make non-spoilery comments very often you know I, I'll make I'll say one or two things usually using my weird shorthand of Kyla Romulan for example <laughs> that yeah. you know only like five percent of the audience will understand anyway so but I, I wasn't a part of the conversation at all because if people were talking about it, I sort of like would look away or I would not think about it too much or or I would and I would wonder. Everyone was, you know, oh, Hugh, oh, Hugh, oh, Hugh. There were a lot of like, yay, Hugh comments. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what Hugh did. <laughs> I have to apologize for messaging you to say I think that was good I know that's not really spoilery but like I get annoyed when people do that to me (laughs) and I haven't seen it so yeah sorry well I've to be fair to you I up until this point I had been waking up early in the morning to watch it before I go to work and that was like my thing it was only because I was I was exhausted and tired from taking care of my child that I wasn't that I didn't do that so it wasn't like on you it was I was off my schedule but I was sort of excited by the positive by your positive positivity because the internet is pretty positive about this show in general it's weird right follow yeah the negativity are all a bunch of people that I I give no credence to because they're all just jerks who want to make fun of stuff right so much of the criticism of of picard seems to be coming from guys who also complain that discovery has too many black people right which is to say two so it's weird being that you and i are the ones going yeah and a couple people are like lumping us in with those people and i'm just like wait what i i my criticism is completely different from their criticism like yeah i don't mind being lumped in with other critique but the idea that i would ever 
in any way agree with anyone who like calls themselves the fandom menace is just anathema to my identity no that was that's very weird and i don't like not liking things i wish this show was better but i love it a lot at the same time like I, I definitely wish it was less racist and less heteronormative, but the things that I love, I really love. I'm not going to call for its cancellation or anything. Yeah. So it's weird to be lumped in with those people. I am absolutely enjoying it. I just think that there's a, there's a lot of weird things that, that could have been fixed. Yeah. But I'm absolutely enjoying everything, and I have, like I said, I have my my own little shorthand and my own little, you know, I'm super into Rafi and Rios, whatever their relationship wants to be. Someone said that that Michelle Hurd described them as Han Solo and Chewbacca, and I spent <laughs> a long time trying to figure out which one was which. <laughs> And I do still do not know. <laughs> I just, but and that and and also they were saying, and that's why she didn't ship it. And I was like, uh, got bad okay. news for her about Han like, Solo and Chewbacca shippers. Like, right? It's like plenty of people are okay with that, mm. and so it was just and and like okay, I I will say I don't actually ship Han Solo and Chewbacca, but I do ship best friends who aren't really in a romantic relationship yeah yeah so it's not that they don't love each other they just don't necessarily (laughs) love each other romantically which is not to say they don't hook up right this person was trying to let me down easy in that that ship wasn't going to happen and i was like first of all don't come into a don't invite yourself into a conversation to tell someone that they shouldn't be into something just, yeah, that's rude. Just put that out there. This person was trying to be nice, I think, but that's not actually nice. No, no. And second, the idea of this isn't going to be canon and therefore you shouldn't be interested in it is like, no, you don't understand me as a that person. That attitude in <laughs> fandom these days is fully weird to me. Like... I was a Jane Wager Cote shipper. I was a Picard Crusher shipper. Just because they don't get together in canon doesn't mean I'm not going to ship it. So it's just, it's just funny. But so I'm like super invested in Rafi and Rios in any way that it wants to be. Yeah. Uh, portrayed on screen or portrayed in my mind. Like I am super invested in that. I am invested in Kylo Romulan to a point of true like I'm a little bit worried about myself (laughs) and like the I I tweeted at the official account they said I don't remember what their question was exactly but it was basically what do you think of Narek and Soji and most responses were like eh Mm. and I tweeted a gif of Ray and Ben Solo kissing and I was like here you go this is what I think of it so, I have problems. But, but the show can't be all bad if I am so invested in these random things that aren't even part of it. Right, that's what I keep telling myself. And yet. <laughs> but no, I thought this is a really good episode. And honestly, if this reflects the quality of the season 
to come, then, you know, I, I'm not going to withdraw any of my criticisms about the racism and so forth. But on a storytelling level, I think it's really going to work better than I expected. And it did occur to me that uh, episode six of season one of Discovery was Lethe, and that's where the show came together for me too. Yeah. And not just for cat reasons. Like, that was where I realised, oh, my God, I really, really care about this show and this story. Like, it started with Choose Your Pain and then coalesced with Lethe. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I suppose taking five episodes to get good is better than taking two or three seasons. I just, because you brought up Lethe, I just wanted to... Mm. Next week's episode is Nepenthe. Nepenthe. Yeah. And it's a planet. It's where they go. So it's a planet. Mm -hmm. But Nepenthe is the drug in the Odyssey that is banishing grief. And I just think that's worth saying. (laughs) Interesting on both a storytelling level and uh, what has happened to the Rikers and Troys. Right. Obviously, I don't know what's going to happen next week, but I just think it's very interesting that that is what the planet is called. I agree. And I am curious to see how it goes, and I'm glad that it's coming together. Oh, I meant to say, Elnor attempts to sacrifice himself as your note in our... uh, What's it called? Our outline? Yes. And if they harm one perfect hair on my son's thick head, they'll be hearing from me. Yeah. I, it really doesn't make sense. I, I, I made a little bit more sense the second time I watched. The first time I watched mm. I was like, Elnor is literally only staying behind so that Elnor stays behind. Like, there is no... Re- like, they didn't say only two people can go through this or no, this no. like there was I did not understand at all I was like you can go too why can't they all go like everybody well, I don't go. think Hugh would abandon his ball <clears throat> I don't either but it was it I'm I was saying from a point of view and so mm. I guess Elnor is staying behind to make sure that Hugh succeeds in hiding where they went like I guess that's what is happening there yeah that was my read and I kind of like the idea of Elnor protecting Hugh and and seeing what happens there and and finding out how Elnor gets back because mm. I am I'm I like I absolutely refuse to believe that anything bad is going to happen to Elnor and that he's not going to come back. Like I don't know why you would introduce that character in order to kill him here. There's there's no narrative reason for that. <laughs> Right. There is, this is not the culmination of an arc for him. And yet, Cat means that I don't really trust them to kill people for good narrative narrative reasons. reasons. I Uh, mean, fair. But Elnor is in the main credits. He is. And then I'm like, Evan Evagoria only has one other IMDb credit. No, two. But one of them is an Australian cop show. My point is, you can't throw him back now. He's too small to live. Oh, he's so cute. Elnor is adorable, and Evan and Evangoria is adorable, and I just so adorable. Everyone loves him. There, he's he's fine. Like, yeah. I am. I feel ninety percent good about saying he's fine, and he's gonna do something amazing, and it's gonna be great, and I can't wait to see it. I look forward to Ninja Romulan adventures on a Borg cube. Yeah, because, like, remember 
all of that stuff in the second episode about the blinking wordy thing and yeah like that board cube is definitely gonna come to life and and there's gonna be bad borgs as well as good borgs like stuff is gonna happen you, mm. you don't just introduce that stuff without no. it coming to life at some point you don't the amazing have... thing is that it's taken this long yes right exactly and but i so i'm i'm like it could be you know the good Borg versus the bad Borg, but they don't kill the bad Borg because they want to save the bad... Like, I, I'm i going to be disappointed, I feel. This is going to be like the Stormtrooper revolution that never mm. happens that I am still bitter about. Same. But I, I, am, I am more hopeful than hopeless in that it could be good and we could get good stuff because they have done really interesting stuff with the Borg. And when Picard said, you've shown what the Borg, what they really are as victims, not monsters, like I almost started crying. I know, and it is that Stormtrooper plot that we didn't get. That we didn't get. I was just like, I I was, it's, it was a perfect, perfect, it's like, it's little seven-year-old me (laughs) looking at Darth Vader and saying, look how beautiful he is. Oh. And, and I just, it made me very, very happy. And so I love Hugh. I love that Picard got to see what Hugh was doing and, and how good it is. Yes. And I am very hopeful that Elnor is going to have something great to do that involves helping good Borg from bad Romulans. <laughs> <laughs> And, but I also am still holding out that there's going to be good Romulans who are in the bad Romulans. And it's all going to work out in the end. Because I, I love everything they do with the Rom- Romulans. And I love every Romulan. But I need for the good Romulans, there to be good Romulans who aren't Picard's friends. Like I just, yes. I need that and, and- to happen. <laughs> When you have created a fictional society that values secrecy and privacy, and that's what their whole culture is about, you can't just say, oh, but the only good ones are the ones who are completely open books. Exactly. Exactly. We need that story. We need the story of the the Romulans who are very Romulan. Yeah. And who are and not bad aren't guys. going to assimilate into the Federation, but are going to come to a, a agreement with the Federation. Like, are, mm. are going to be seen as real people who can become citizens and not give up being Romulan. Because, like, yes, I agree with you that we shouldn't give author, author, author I can't even say the word. <laughs> we shouldn't give authoritarian states legitimacy, but right. their citizens are not their state. Right, because they are, they don't, that's their reality. You can't come right. into somewhere and say your reality is wrong and so we're going to punish you for it. You have to come and say your reality is not as good as it could be and let's let's come to a compromise, you know? Right. You can't just roll over someone's entire culture. Right. I was thinking about, like, a lot. there are a lot of commonalities between how the Romulans are portrayed, particularly in the novel where it really gets into the politics and 
contemporary mainland China, which makes sense because China is like our, our only major, major example of a technologically empowered totalitarian state. So, you know, drone surveillance and stuff. There's a, we, we can see how that would work. And, you know, separating one's attitude towards the Chinese government versus racism towards Chinese people is something that Westerners, particularly white Westerners, have to keep have to constantly do exactly you can't hold an individual accountable for the actions of their government right yes unless if they're doing the if they're the ones doing the actions that's, that's then, then you're holding them thinking. accountable for their actions like that's yeah, a different yeah. thing like nerissa if you're gonna say hey nerissa stop murdering people <laughs> like that's fair Right, but if we find out that before they changed sides, Laris and Jaban were like hauling people off to re-education camps, then suddenly we look at them kind of differently. And, and we ask, you know, what have you done to make amends for that? Or are you just making wine? That's why we need the Kylo Romulan atonement story. <sighs> Maybe I have to come around to team nuance a week early, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> I just... Again, I'm still angry about Star Wars. So this is all colored with the We're fact that... We're all angry about Star Wars. I didn't get my atonement story that would heal the broken things for generations mm -hmm. in Star Wars. And so I'm hoping that this is going to be different. Fingers crossed. I mean, it also happened in Game of Thrones. I pick on Star Wars more because I had higher expectations for Star Wars, but yeah, Game, but of, Game Thrones of Thrones also really... went completely and was like, everything that you believe is true is not, and we're going to and... tell a story about horrible things instead of, instead of the atonement story that you thought we were going for. And right. the healing, it's... the healing story. Like in both of these cases, what I wanted was healing. And what I right. got was not. Vengeance, basically. Exactly. Narrative vengeance. So we need, we need healing. And Hugh was giving me healing this week. And so I want more of that. More of that. Less of this other stuff. Yeah, I am really concerned that Nerissa is going to kill Hugh, at which point even my misandrist soul has to say, no, she's unforgivable now. I have no delusions that Miss Nerissa is going to be sacrificed. <laughs> Me neither. But the question is how... To the altar of vengeance. But... Mm. And I'm not saying... Again, I'm not saying that's good. I, I'm the person still angry about Seska. If DS9 aired now and I didn't know how it was going to end, I would 100% be on the Kai Win redemption train. So, you know, I'm just selective about these things. If, if it's a lady, particularly an older lady, then I'm very forgiving. If he's played by Adam Driver, I'm... Everybody, ha exactly, everybody has their priorities. Yeah, yeah. And I do like picturing the AU where Adam Driver plays Narek. <laughs> Mostly because I just, you know, he's, he's like an, an awkward cat that's very conscious of his dignity. So putting him in, in ears and eyebrows would just be funny. And in, in this particular episode, in that particular room, which as Vulcan as it was, is also very Jedi. 
Yes. I mean, let's be fair, the Vulcans and the Jedi have a lot in common. Starting and... the fact that they were both ripped off a lot from Japanese culture. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I could really see it in that in that scene. I was like, ooh, this is, I mean, first of all, this is a super, like, this is, it's literally ripped out of Rebels. Like, I, I'm sorry. And I'm not angry. I'm not angry about it. It's great. I am super into that stuff. I am the person who thinks that no story is original, so just stop arguing about it. I don't really believe in copyright. Sorry. (laughs) But, so, so I'm not, like, upset about it. I actually love the fact that it is a total ripoff of, like, Star Wars Rebels, but it, it super is. And that's that like, um, great. thing that's cool. with Caden like and the Inquisitor played by Jason Isaacs. Exactly. Yeah. It's so forgotten. there. <laughs> I'm glad we've managed to get both Adam Driver and Jason Isaacs into this episode. I, I was mean, really afraid we were going to stay on topic. <laughs> the, that's <laughs> that's our that's that's how we are, and that's why people listen to us. They do, and we're very grateful for it. <laughs> I'm going to call it. Let's okay. wrap up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. Or just talk us up somewhere on the internet. We're, we're not proud. Join us next week for episode 7 of Star Trek Picard, Nepenthe. 